because there was so much mission last week. So we'll see what I do here. But I want to dive into this because it's so essential for the church in the last days. I want to talk about um, King David who had a radical focus in a multitasked lifestyle, okay? And all of us have got so many different things, but I'll tell you why this is so important. Let me tell you why I'm going to preach what I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach, and I'll make a case for it biblically here in just a minute. But I'm concerned in the last days, very concerned, about phrases that Jesus prophesied and are said through the epistles that talk about the love of the people of God growing cold, growing cold. Or another place says people will faint from fear, there's days coming that are coming to steal our hearts away, fear and love. And I just am pretty convinced that Western culture and luxury is not preparing our hearts for what is coming and how we need to endure. It is clear from your Bible, he who endures or she to the end are the ones that will be saved. Now, we believe in salvation through grace, through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. But I also believe that the pressure's coming and temptation's coming on a regular basis to get you to disbelieve and disconfess Christ. And so when I'm preaching a sermon like this, it's an eschatological preparation. Anybody want to say that with me? Eschatological preparation. I'm trying to get you ready, yes, for tomorrow, but really for big days that are coming. Our hearts, we've got to do due diligence with our hearts right now to get ourselves ready for great days that are coming on planet Earth. And I think we're about to see the greatest revival that's ever been, breakthrough in glory, and the greatest trouble. It's not either or, it's both are coming. The question is, are you ready? I don't want to make anybody scared. I just want you to be ready. I'm not necessarily a prepper in the degree that I'm trying to store up this or that. I'm not anti that. I just have a ton of Bible for that. I'm not saying it's anti-biblical. There's some that are very led to store up. But here's what I know the Bible pays attention to. Get your heart ready for the end times. Get your prayer life. That's, it's over the top about how we're supposed to be ready. And what I'm going to preach to you right now is in that vein. I'm not just doing a cute little sermon here about David. I'm warring for your hearts right now because God needs a church that's after his heart to be passionately dedicated and radically dedicated to the Lord so they can endure and go through the things they're going to go through. So a couple reminders from last week. There is more in the scriptures about King David than any other person in the Bible than Jesus Christ. He's second most of getting press from the Holy Spirit in the eternal word of God. That alone should make you pay attention. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and 1 Chronicles almost are entirely about this man named David. This man from a big family, eight kids, poor shepherds that are there that somehow he wasn't looking to be king, by the way. He was recruited and drafted. He wasn't aspiring to this thing. This guy's a unique guy. David wrote 80 to 100 of the Psalms. I think more. He at least inspired the other ones. Asaph, when you see stuff by that guy, he was inspired by King David. The Psalms are my favorite book in the Old Testament. I love, love, love the Psalms as we get the overflow of the man after God's own heart. I get the script of what the, the manifestation of his heart in Psalms 1, 2, 3, 4. Just take the Psalms, pray the Psalms, meditate the Psalms, because you're getting 
the lift, you're getting this, the, the stuff that's coming out of the heart of someone that God found and was radically pleased with. The Holy Spirit inspired scriptures are obviously, the Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures wanted us to pay attention to this guy. He gives so much press to him. So this is the phrase that's about him, and I've already said it. 1 Samuel 13, 14. And the first words from the Lord about David were this. But now your kingdom, Samuel says to Saul, who's losing the kingdom, shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. This is arguably, besides stuff about Jesus, the most unique description about any human in all of scriptures. God has sought and looked, went through a steady set of brothers, went around all Israel, I think, and he found him a guy, a little shepherd boy out there. And the thing he says about him is he's after my heart. I didn't find an aspiring guy that wants to be king. I didn't find a guy that wants to be really good at the slingshot and knock Goliaths down. I found a guy who's after my own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded Saul. So we see the transfer of one king to another. King Saul was an answer to a request from Israel, and he was really an answer in judgment. King Saul was a man in fear, a religious spirit, full of pride. He, he was judgment to Israel. He ends up being demonized during most of his kingship. David is raised up as a blessing to Israel. And the difference between them is King Saul wants God's favor so he can do good things and win wars. David wants God. And there's a difference. One wants God's help to get stuff done. The other one wants God. Listen, there's a huge difference. And I made this point last week. You and I are the royal priesthood of God. We're to steward the authority of God. We'll rule and reign with God forever. And even now, there's authority to manifest. Who's God looking for to steward his authority and rulership? It's a people after his own heart. This has got to be the focus of our lives. So the kingly heart that the Lord is looking for to exercise his authority is one that's after his heart. He clearly wants a man or woman that's made it their life goal and passion to be after his heart. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it's said again, Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, with Paul in his ear probably, writes this history again. And when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found a man who's after my own heart. Now, just to remind you, this is 1,000 years post Bathsheba and Uriah and a census and some fear and some manipulation. David struggled is my point. But even later, the Holy Spirit is still affirming that was a guy after my heart. And that should encourage you. I'm not preaching to people that I think the Lord is saying, I need perfect people. He's not looking for you to be perfect in your actions. He's looking for you actually to be more perfect in your heart. In your heart and what you desire and what you're going after. I'll unpack that in just a minute. So what was the primary focus of this man who's after God's own heart? I think Psalms 27, the first four, four verses really uh, release that to us. So let me, let me read a couple verses here. Psalms 27, written by David. He says, the Lord is my light and he's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, you need to know 
This isn't just general him dealing with fear. This is David with a demonized king trying to throw spears through him and trying to kill him, sending whole armies out, the Green Beret, if you will, to try to murder him. He spends years running from cave to cave. Does everybody remember that? He was talking about real danger, <laughs> real danger that was going on around his life. And so David's, this is real stuff. The Lord, Yahweh, is my light in the midst of the darkness I'm in the midst of. He is the salvation. He's my salvation, not just a way, but him himself. He's the stronghold of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers, and many were around him, assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who are going to stumble and fall because Yahweh's with me. Though an army encamped against me, and he had seen it happen, my heart shall not fear, though war rises against me, yet I'll be confident. I think that's all the result of what I'm about to read to you in verse 4. Everybody focus on verse 4. One thing, David writes, have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. I'm asking and I'm seeking after this right here. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord slash presence of God all the days of my life so I can do this. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and I can inquire of him in his temple. This is the deal right here. 27.4. Everybody ought to, this is refrigerator verse worthy, okay? So you, you need to get this. You need to get it memorized. You need to lay in your bed and think and pray and get this in. I'm going to take some time to microscopically break this apart a little bit, but this should be the heart of every believer that's walking impacted by the gospel, and that's going to steward ministry for the Lord. Psalms 27.4. David was a multitasking man of many things. He's a shepherd. He's a musician, writing top songs on the charts, by the way. He's got a deliverance ministry with a harp. Anybody remember that? Saul was demonized. They'd bring him in. He'd play his harp and get demons off of Saul. He had a deliverance ministry. It's an amazing thing. General of an army, a songwriter, a prophet is what he's going to be called next too. A husband, a father, and a king of a nation. He had a few things on his plate, yet he was a man of one thing. He's a man of one thing. All that's happening. Listen, when I'm preaching this, I think sometimes people hear preachers and they're like, oh, Sam just wants us all to sit in a room and love God. No, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. I want you to be a dad. I want you to be a, I want you to be a husband and a, I want you to be a, uh, a worker and faithful at work. But I don't think you do any of that stuff well unless you get this thing right. This is the gig right here. This is the thing that God's looking for, and he's saying, this is what will be successful on planet Earth. The way that you'll manifest fruit and authority and, and all kinds of favor is if you are a person of one thing. David failed in many ways. He's a liar. He manipulated fear, adultery, and murder. He's, I mean, he royally, no pun intended, screwed up. He screwed up multiple times while he's a man after God's own heart, but yet he was a man, I believe, of one thing. David prayed many prayers. He prayed for provision, for protection, for wisdom, for forgiveness. There's a ton of prayers and subjects he prays about, but he really was a man after one thing. And so what I want to do is unpack this just a little bit with you to motivate your heart. Listen, here's my goal. I hope you'll read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and you'll read 1 Chronicles under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2, 27, the Holy Spirit's the greatest teacher on the planet. All I'm doing right now is priming the pump a little bit. You need to apply your heart to this because there is much activity from the enemy 
to keep you away from the experience of what I'm talking about and to make this some cliche phrase, David was the man after all. He was a man of one thing. Let's name a conference after it, okay? All these things get a little bit put in a cul-de-sac of not taking our attention like they should. I'm hoping that you'll dive into this, that you'll take what I'm doing now and use it as a primer to go deep. What was the one thing? It was an intentional, listen to this, it was an intentional prayer life for and a practical seeking to dwell in God's house or presence in order to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire of his wisdom. So we've said that. I just want to say it again. I'm going to say the same thing over and over. I have a gift of repetitiveness. It was an intentional prayer life, meaning he, with effort and focus, kept this thing at the foremost, at the centerpiece of his prayer life. I wonder what's at the centerpiece of your prayer life. I wonder how your prayer life, I don't mean this as a condemning way, but I wonder if we're praying way more about God help me be successful, be better, be, get over that sin, get over, I mean, I, and I'm, those are all decent things, by the way. God help that, God help the job, that's, that's all good stuff. But I wonder what's getting the most press, what's getting the most time. I'm arguing for you that you're, you, make an, you need to make an intentional effort to make this your one thing. Lord, one thing I ask, I want to dwell in your presence. I'm going to keep asking for it over and over and over. I don't want to just pray it one time and hope it. I'm going to look for fruit in this thing. I'm going to ask you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, make me a man of one thing. I'm so ADD. I'm so distracted, but I'm asking for you to bring focus for me, that you would bring it at the forefront and the center of your prayer life, and then you would literally seek after it. I like it's, it's there. It says he not only was praying for it, but he was seeking for it. I believe that David was making intentional decisions, maybe to skip a movie here or there, maybe to you know, skip a hot dog and fast a little bit. He was making intentional decisions with his money, his time, and his life to get this priority at the center. Does that make sense? Everybody's still with me. I want to work with you. You can't just listen to Sam talk about it and then hope God's like putting an injection from heaven. Now I'm a man of one thing. It's going to take some time getting over a man or woman of many things, especially you the thing, for you to make the transfer to being this kind of person. So it makes sense to everybody. It's going to take intentional prayer, and it's going to take intentional seeking. So if you're seeking, I know you know this word, but I just want to say it to you. If you're seeking after something, you want to find that thing. I think we're so casual about these things sometimes. It's kind of a take it or leave it. Be nice. It'd be nice to be more passionate for God. That works out, it'd be great. But here's the deal. I need some money to pay the bills, kind of like a vacation, kind of like some people like me better. <laughs> I mean, it surfaces to the top of our hearts. And again, I'm not condemning you. I'm saying be intentional. Don't be okay with that. Say, I'm not doing that. I'm done. I want first things to be first in my life. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek, and I'm going to do all the dynamics that are involved in that process. I believe that this statement from David is the most practical, important thing about a man or woman after God's own heart. I, some people see these verses and think, well, it's not very practical. Give me something to do. I'm like, this is huge practical. For you to get to a place to say with integrity, I want one thing. I want one thing. I want to be a man or a woman of one thing. 
and I'm going to pray and seek until I get that, I think it's deeply practical. Because here's the deal. If you don't get this set, you will stumble into idolatry. You'll tumble off into idolatrous activity. It doesn't matter if it's in the world or even in the church. And I know it. I have not always been a man of one thing. I'm barely that now, but I'm giving myself to it. But I've not been. In my 20s and 30s, oh my gosh. Gospel's awesome. Kingdom's great. Oh my gosh, the Bible's good. I'm going to have me an awesome ministry. I was thinking so much about growth and success, and I was a man of one thing. The one thing was Sam McVeigh being successful in ministry. And I tell you what I think it was is idolatry. I think God worked in spite of me. Most of my life is him working in spite of me. I think he wants to work with me. You everybody with me? He's working in spite of us. He worked through me during those years, blessed some people, but oh my gosh, the mixture at the heart level, and most of it was within the kingdom and within the church and the ministry. But the Lord is so gracious, time goes by, you get broke, Bible verses come, people say things to you, and he keeps getting your attention, getting your attention. And then you find out, oh my gosh, I got lost in the middle of all this. Yeah, my heart was made for more than just being creative or preaching. Or My heart was made to be a lover of God. And I'm not even alive until that happens. I've had this happen to me multiple times. It did happen in my 20s and 30s. I'd read a book. I'd read a Bible verse. And my heart would come alive. Does anybody know what this is like? I would get fascinated. Quicken's a great word. I'd get fascinated by something about Jesus. I was suddenly transported out of, you know, Sam setting, watching Sam on the stage, really applauding him all the time. I would suddenly get ripped out of that and go, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're so awesome. And, it, and something would happen. Has anybody had this experience? I wish they were more, but I've had them. They've ruined me. <laughs> They've ruined my life because I became alive when it happened. I stepped into the purpose that my heart was made in the first place. My heart wasn't made to be famous. My heart wasn't made just to preach in rotundas and capital buildings and lead prayer movements. That's the periphery fruit of what my heart was made to be. My heart was made to be a lover of God. I'm not alive unless I'm doing it. And it's the war of the devil to keep me from that. So I'm preaching this with intensity to you. Because it's going to take some war. It's going to take some intentionality. You don't just go, oh, that was a good idea. Hmm, I'll make some notes. Boom, my journal's done. I'm going to go home. And <laughs> You're going to have to go to war for this. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. He's worth it, and your heart's worth it to come into satisfaction. Why is David saying things like, a whole army can come against me, and I'm not going to fear? Why is he doing that? Because he worked on courage or read the latest book out that was about courage? no. His heart got filled with passion for God. He was a man of one thing. He's gazing at the beauty of God, and he's being transformed on the inside. What used to scare me doesn't scare me anymore. What used to distract me doesn't distract me anymore. I was talking to Amy about certain sins, and I'm like, you know, I used to be scared about getting caught, you know, but I knew how to do the right thing. Then I went, oh, I'm moving a little bit further from wanting to be caught. I kind of don't like how I feel after that to this point where I'm, I love righteousness, I'm 52, and I'm like, I love purity. <laughs> I hate the darkness, even though it gives pleasure for a moment, the bragging thing, the greedy deal, the money deal, the lustful look. You know, those things are just not worth it anymore because he's transformed my heart into being a lover of God, not just a guy who wants to do things right in his Christian life. 
Somebody see the difference? You're never going to be free. It's lovers who will never, ever be denied. It's lovers who make the greatest warriors. It's lovers of God who take giants down when they're ill-equipped because they're just not going to lose. They're God's with them. They know how much God loves them, and they move into that. So I'm wondering how you're doing. Are you a person of one thing? Have you locked in it? Are you asking for the power of the Spirit? I love the increase of people wanting to see signs and wonders and miracles. I think it's great. So I'm about to make a statement, but I just want to say that first. I think it's great, but I hope to God (laughs) that everybody doesn't make that the pinnacle situation. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a lover of God on planet Earth. Filled with idols and lovers everywhere, it's going to take a miracle for my heart to get to that place. And I'm going to put my heart in a place where I can receive that miracle and I can be that man of one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord. This is what I'm going to seek. I'm praying it. I'm seeking it. I'm adjusting my time and my finances and my life and my entertainment, what goes in my eye. Not just because I don't want to watch bad movies. It's when I watch bad movies, it pollutes my soul and drags it into a place where I'm not a man of one thing. That's a better reason not to watch the bad movies, everybody. That's the better reason why not to do sexual sin. You could try to fight it saying, I don't want to do it anymore. Good luck, honestly, with all of that. The only way to overcome inferior pleasures is by a superior pleasure. You're going to, God made you to love. He made you to want stuff. He made you to adore beauty. That's why we notice it. We love beauty. We just love it because God designed our hearts. Well, you know what the most beautiful thing is in all of the universe? God. <laughs> I, he just wants you, come, be a glutton on this. This I give permission for. <laughs> be a glutton on my beauty so I seek after it. I want to be in his house so I can gaze upon the beauty in, in Christ's temple. Give me just a couple more minutes here. This is kind of a big deal. What does it mean to gaze at the beauty of the Lord? What a phrase. David uses it multiple times. He's almost the only one. In Isaiah 33, there's a prophecy about seeing the king's beauty. But David's the one that makes it real personal. What does this phrase mean? To gaze, inquiring in his temple for wisdom. That makes sense, I think, to most of us. What does it mean for me to gaze at the beauty of the Lord? Well, I think practically what it means is this. It means, number one, that I'm gazing at, meditating, going deep in his attributes. Love, grace, goodness, mercy, wisdom, and a thousand other things. I take them, and I just don't know them about God. I begin to jump into the pool of the experience of them. I take the love of God, and I go, what does that mean? He's love. His very nature, I begin to get deep in it, and I begin to gaze upon the lover of the universe who loves enemies and lets them kill him. And so he can have their hearts. I mean, it's just shocking. I take wisdom of God. I take whatever it is, the goodness of God. And I go deep in and soak and minister and gaze at his beauty. Number two, it's his ways, his miracles, his nature, whatever. I was sitting on the porch today watching geese fly over my house going, oh my gosh, you're so huge. That's just awesome. Look at that. Geese are going, and then behind them are clouds, and beyond them is a universe, and I'm hurling through the at 30-something thousand miles an hour around the sun, and I'm not flying off this dirt ball. It's a wild thing, really. This is, you're, you're amazing. I'm just, your nature. Go out tonight and watch the stars and gaze on the beauty of the Lord as his glory breaks out from who he is. And I'm telling you, when you gaze, you will be changed. When you gaze, you will be changed. The change you've been wanting won't come by you trying so hard. It's gonna come when you look at the glorious changer. 
When you look at him and have encounter at the heart level, and the roots are taken out of your addiction to these things, I'm telling you, that's the way to do. Number three, his throne room experience. And we'll, we'll send these notes out, but Revelations 4, Ezekiel 1, Daniel 7, Isaiah 6 are unbelievable gifts to you that none of us deserve. <laughs> these are a prophets and apostles who op- draw back the curtain of heaven, the heavenly realms, where we get to look in and go, there's an emerald rainbow over the throne of God. Oh my gosh. There's thunder and lightning coming out. That's happening right now. Does everybody know? Revelation 4 is happening right now. There's jasper and carnelian, a reddish, yellowish hue coming out from, I'm sorry, the description, Revelation 4. It's amazing. Take Revelation 4 and look at the beauty of God. Engage your imagination and just stare at it with your heart and take in the holy, holy, holy that's going on around the throne. There's multiple places to gaze at beauty. Number four, his son Jesus, just meditating on him, the gospels, looking at him, getting yourself engaged in that, the Holy Spirit in his presence, his word. Obviously, the Bible, I just stare into, oh, David would talk about that in Psalms 119. It's like gold. Your word, here's what he'll say. Your word, I don't think he like was like, hey, what would be a good way for me to inspire people? To like the Bible. You know what I'll do? I'll say, it's like honey on my lips. That'll get them. He didn't do that. He felt like the words of God were sweetness on his lips. Ah, it's dripping. And he had to write it down. It's like honey on my lips. <laughs> oh, you know what? It also feels like water to my soul. The word of God revives and wakes me up. I mean, read Psalms 119. He just, it's the long, it's overdone. David goes way too long because he's just inspired by the word of God. Well, so can we be. Take the word in. Not what you ought to do, but who you get to see. This is a living book that draws a picture of the glory of your God. What a gift that we have it. And then lastly, in his people. When I look at you, I'm looking at works of grace. I love to hear stories more than I've ever heard in my life. To hear the work of grace, how God took someone that didn't care about Jesus, and they suddenly do, I'm looking at the beauty of God. This is why fellowship is so important for us. Not because we ought to go to church. and We get to view the beauty of God in the people of God by the work of the grace of God that's brought his fruit for his glory's sake. And I just encourage you to set your hearts upon those things. This is... A vital subject. God is coming back for a church after his own heart. This is not some goal that I'm trying to put before you, but I think that we've not laid out that this is an intentional process enough. I'm asking you and challenging one more time to set the trajectory of your prayer life around asking Psalms 27.4. Lord, make me. I dare you. The Holy Spirit wants to do this way more than anybody in this room wants to do it. He's just waiting to unleash his glory and his dealings upon you if you'll get into agreement with his top agenda. And his top agenda is that you love him with all your heart. His top agenda is that you're fascinated and want to see his beauty, and the other beauties on the earth are beginning to lose their power. But it's going to take some intentionality in your prayer life. It's going to take some intentionality in your seeking, adjusting your schedules a little bit, and not giving up. It's just not working for me. How long did you try? Three days. It was unbelievable. I just didn't feel anything. Come back to me in three years. Come back to me in three years. Is this worth it or not? (laughs) The the way we'll give up so easy. Well, I fell. I was a man after one thing, and then I fell into that again. Okay, get back up and go at it again. 
It says that the, the, in, in, in Proverbs, though the righteous fall seven times, they get back up. The wicked lay down and languish. Don't be wicked. <laughs> Wickedness is not you did something wicked. Wicked is you won't get back up. Amen, everybody? Yes. Stop quitting. Get up again and get up again and get up again. And I'm telling you, run to him dirty. Run to him with a repenting with all of your heart, knowing he loves you more than you love him. He's just longing for you to come back. He's not going to put you in the corner and make you pout for a while, okay? Can you imagine? Let me do this and I'm going to pray. Can you imagine a church that's a church of one thing? Can you imagine a church full of people that have matured in the first command? I love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Nothing's going to stop me. I don't think about money. I don't think about relationship. I think about nothing the same anymore because I've seen the beauty of the Lord. I'm with Amy all the way, no matter what marches through my life, because I've seen the beauty of the Lord. I'm a better husband. I'm a better daddy. I'm a better minister, and I'm locked in on this thing for the glory of God. It changes your heart. It's what your heart was made for. So, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for uh, all that. And I'm praying out of all that for something more than whether that was a good, bad, or ugly sermon. I pray for seeds of the truth to hit hearts, and for genuine transformation. I pray every bird of the air that would fly through this place and out in that parking lot that would try to steal the seeds of what was planted in here, I pray they'd be backed off in Jesus' name. I pray for a radical help, Holy Spirit, for us to be intentional in becoming a people of one thing. I pray for an intentionality to look at the beauty of the Lord, to spend time, God, I'm asking for Holy Spirit power to break the quitter off of us, to break the shame off of us, to take us deeper than we've ever been. I pray for mamas and daddies that model to their babies more than a good Christian life. They show them lovers of God. Lord, I pray that you would capture our hearts, take us deep, break every satanic scheme and schedule to try to rip us off. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that wipes away our shame. Thank you that we're dark yet lovely, song of songs. Dark yet lovely, you love us. Even while we're trying to get rid of the darkness, because you see our hearts, we want you. And so, Lord, I pray for miracles, miracles of overwhelming our hearts to be lovers of God in these last days. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.